for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 567 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week is the return of Matt Shore from Moby Dick Back from the Deep and his new work, Flight of the Phantasmodactyls, along with the holiday tradition. Matt and I discussed the Kickstarter he's running right now for his young reader's horror story, Flight of the Phantasmodactyls. It's described this way. Thanks to a greedy man unearthing forbidden technology from the past, spectral creatures from another world have crossed over to ours. They're big, they're dangerous, and they're hungry. Matt's latest crowdfunding project will conclude on Christmas Day, but he would truly appreciate your support if you haven't already pledged. Then everything wraps up with my annual holiday tradition, playing the audio from Twas the Dark Night Before Christmas. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Matt Shore. You might have heard about me from... What? Nobody's heard about me? Man. Okay, it doesn't matter if you don't know me. What matters is the terrifying story I'm here to tell. It's always great to talk with Matt Shore, the creator of such wonderful comics as Monster Hunter for Hire, Moby Dick, Back from the Deep, and even Jesus Christ Demon Slayer, among other things. How's it going, Matt? It's good. Thanks for having me. How are things going your way? Good, good. We're, we're moving right along here, and the holiday season is fast rocketing by as, as normal. But uh, let's see, you're broadening your perspective. Of course, I, I shouldn't say that because you've been doing this as well as the comics for a while. So, but you are giving away free comics as part of this. Talk about the Kickstarter that you have going on right now. Sure, yeah. We're doing a Kickstarter right now for my latest uh, literary novel for geared toward younger readers. It's called Flight of the Phantasmodactyls. It's the fourth entry in my, I call it my Zombisaurus series. It started out with Attack of the Zombisaurus Rex. Then we followed it up with Scourge of the Vampire Velociraptors. Then we had Curse of the Werasaurus. And now our, the latest dino horror that we're unleashing is the uh, Phantasmodactyls. They're these ghostly pterodactyls that can fly through walls and through anything they need to. Uh, but the trade-off is even though you can't touch them because they're ghosts, they can actually touch you, which can cause a problem if you're trying to uh, get rid of them and protect your town like the, the poor kids in this story are. Okay. The story, according to the Kickstarter.com website, says, Thanks to a greedy man unearthing forbidden technology from the past, spectral creatures from another world have crossed over to ours. They're big, they're dangerous, and they're hungry. I've got that in there. Now, where did you come up with the name Phantasmodactyls? I, I, I practiced that for quite a while just to make sure I could pronounce it right. <laughs> It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> it's it's one that, um, as you can tell, I've been playing around with uh, classic monsters and dinosaurs and kind of blending them together. And so my, I've been always trying to come up with something new. And my my latest one was like, okay, I want ghost pterodactyls. And so I was trying to think of some way to put it together. And the the one that just seemed to work was taking the word phantasm, which is another word for kind of ghost or poltergeist, and put that in with pterodactyls. And they, I don't know, all the ones that I played with, that one just combined the best, I thought. So phantasmodactyls is the the end result of that. It's, it's a lot of fun to say and a lot of fun to type. I've been typing it repeatedly for the past five or six weeks. It's probably automatic by now. It was happening. It just kind of rolls off the, the typewriter. It is. It's becoming muscle memory now. <laughs> now, what's the deal with them? Uh, they can touch you, but but you can't touch them. Correct. Yeah. It's uh, you know because if they just fly through everything, when they're they're not really a threat, so they've got to be some kind of there's some kind of level of danger there. So uh, 
in this particular case, that's that's sort of a, I guess you might call it the, just the way that they evolved in the world that they came from. They they're ghostly, but uh, they are still living creatures, and so the way they go after their prey is uh, their prey can't really hide or do anything from them. They just swoop down and grab a hold of them if they need to. So, who are the characters in the uh, in the in the in the story that that uh, we need to know about? Sure, the three kids. Uh, there is uh, Dave; he's our narrator, and Carla and Jake, and they're just three, you know, uh, very typical small town kids. All three of them really kind of have aspects of me when I was that age. Carla is the the big time uh, horror buff. So that that's definitely me. <laughs> Even at a young age, I was all about the horror films and horror everything, no matter how weird all my friends thought I was. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Dave is, uh, as our narrator, he's a little bit more timid, which is also definitely me as a kid. I was timid. And then our last one is Jake. Uh, Jake is the big sports guy. And I, was, I wasn't as much of a sports guy, but at that age, I did – for lack of a better word, experiment with sports. So, like, there's a little bit of me in all three of these kids, and uh, they appear in every single book. So, you could say that this is an ongoing series, even though each story is definitely very self-contained. And the but the joke that I've been making with a lot of people is that I'm making sure that all three of them have really awful childhoods. And I would feel bad about it if it if it wasn't just so much fun to write about them having awful childhoods. What city or town is this in? I never specify that uh, because I want it to be very kind of like this could be your hometown. So when I when I write about it, when I see it in my head telling these stories, uh, the neighborhoods that they end up in are definitely neighborhoods that I grew up in. So, I mean, if you wanted to specifically give it a name um, – it could, I'm, I'm going to say that it was the town that I grew up in, but I don't want to say that because that way anybody who reads it, it's written intentionally. So, you know, it could be anybody's town. Okay. So that, that's kind of good for them. Um, of course, these days with a uh, young adult, uh, young reader stuff really flying off the shelves, this is a great place to be to doing this. And how long have you been doing these? Oh, gosh, I'm going to say about 10 years. Wow, okay. So this is the latest in the series. And are the kids growing during the stories, or are they they pretty much the same age from story to story? They're pretty much the same age because even though it's taken me 10 years to write these stories to this point, they definitely are taking place within a much much more condensed time frame, almost back-to-back. And just just because I'm late to the game, how do these kids know each other? Uh, they're just childhood friends. They live in the same neighborhood, so they, they go out and hang out together. They play together. Uh, Jake and Dave will occasionally camp out in their backyard, which is something that I did a, a lot as a kid. I, I assume kids still do that. I've, I've seen tents in several backyards still, so hopefully that's not a trend that's gone out of style. But uh, meanwhile, Carla, of course, always wants them to come over and watch the latest horror movie, so they're doing that, which I did that all the time. My, my buddies and I would always gather together for anybody who remembers who Joe Bob Briggs was our hero was a lot a lot of monster vision mat marathons throughout the night uh and our our mantra was uh, a good horror movie is good but a bad horror movie is fun it's like because <laughs> the bad ones are just as much fun to watch because they're hilarious Joe Bob Briggs used to do a column it was a Sunday column I think and they used to print it in the Orlando paper uh, where I was living at the time. And I remember reading his review of Terminator. And oh. he went, he was writing this whole thing about the the the, beat, the, the creatures were, uh, he was getting beat on, or people were pulling his eye out, or doing this and doing that, and, doing, and, and all this stuff goes on and on and on. And, and, and then he writes in one, one, word, one sentence paragraph, finally Arnold gets PO'd. And I... <laughs> Busted out laughing. That was a very a well-written bit about that. And I, I just thought that was a hilarious uh, way to look at stuff. He, does he still do a TV show? He used to do a TV show. Yeah, he still, to my knowledge, he still has a show on uh, Shudder. I believe that's what it's on. I don't have Shudder, so I, I can't say that with absolute confidence. But uh, yeah, and I think he's still, it's, uh, I think it's called The Last Drive-In. 
And he, it's the same thing he did on Monster Vision. He watches old horror films and he's got like a, a set set up very similar to Monster Vision where it's like he's at a drive-in and like an old, old like trailer from the 70s, you know, one of those old remember the i don't know what they were called but they looked like miniature spaceships they were bright silver and completely rounded that's that's what he's got with a picnic table of course it's all a set but uh it's the same thing that snarky biting humor that he has and i, I, was, I was laughing we told that because i thought that that sounds so much like his voice because I've, I've read a couple of his columns and i i I really I like Joe Bob a lot. There there have been a few times he's expressed some viewpoints I'm not totally with him on, but I he's a smart dude and I respect him. Uh, I actually can say that I came within five feet of him once at a convention. He was of course looking at his phone and didn't even recognize that I was anywhere there, but <laughs> there he was. I saw him. So it was cool for wow. me. One of my childhood heroes. There he was. Cool, cool, because he does make me laugh. And unfortunately, they don't carry his column anymore, I don't think, in the Orlando Sentinel. But they used to back in those days. And I used to buy the Sunday paper just to get his column. Oh, that'd so be worth it. Good. Yeah. It he he so contributes to something. I don't know what it is. that, But I've seen him share stuff for free online uh, through on Twitter. But uh, I don't – He, I, if, if someone's publishing now, I, I don't know what it is. Okay, well, you know, it just depends on what he's up to these days. But uh, where did the idea for these phantasmodactyls come from? Oh, that's that's a fun one. You know, um, inspiration always comes in the unlikeliest of places, and it all st- it started with Zombosaurus Rex. That that one popped in my head, and then other ones just started kind of following afterwards. But uh, I was sitting in a church listening to a um, minister deliver some sermon. I don't remember what he talked about. I, I couldn't tell you anything, I, but I remember where I was sitting. I remember the building and I remember that Zombisaurus Rex popped into my head and would not get out. And then that was followed up with Werasaurus and vampire Velociraptors and uh, so many, just all of them just swimming around in my head. And it's like, okay, I've, I've got to do something with this, tell these stories and get them out of here. And so uh, that's, that's really where it came from. I was talking to Matt Kent about a book that he was doing, and he said he was at a, a funeral of all places. And I think the book was called Pasta Likes or something like that. And he was there with his wife, and they were talking. And I don't remember the exact name of the book, but somebody was saying somebody passed along or passed like that. And, and he was sitting there thinking about this comic that he was trying to come up with the title for. And all of a sudden, he goes, "That's it! That's the title!" He goes, and everybody turns and looks at him like, "What?" <laughs> so I get a kick out of that. That makes me laugh when when you talk about that because that's the experience that he had. And, uh, you know, the, he was sitting in a, a totally different place and then the titles popped in his head and he couldn't help but blurt out, that's it. <laughs> I was fortunate enough that uh, I didn't blurt anything out. I, it all stayed in my head that day. That was, that was good because he, uh, his wife said, I'm not taking you to any more funerals or something like that after that. Because who knows what he was going to think of while he was there. So it was kind of an interesting thing. But uh, I would say, I like that book too, by the way. They, that only lasted about five or six issues and then it went out. But that horror, of course, uh, you're de- dealing in horror. And a lot of your comics have been horror too, as you've been saying about these kinds of things. And uh, so I'm kind of curious as, as um, like, how do people access these the books that you're writing? Where do they get them? The, is it largely through Kickstarter or your website? How do people do that? Uh, I always initially fund them through Kickstarter to get uh, like the initial publishing costs. Um, but after that, uh, once it, once it's established and it's out there, then yeah, people can. Of course, uh, all of my books are available on Amazon, so you can find them over there. But you can also, uh, I'm going to shout out to. Our local bookstore, if anybody, any of your listeners happen to live in uh, Middle Tennessee, there's Hootabam Universal, Di- Hootabam Universal Disturbers 
Book Traders. It's it's a really wild name, but anyway, they they they're in uh, downtown Clarksville and they downtown Clarksville, Tennessee, and they carry all of my books there. And another local shop that actually carries my comics is Rick's Comic City, also here in Clarksville, Tennessee. So shout out to those local shops. Shop local, everybody, especially uh, during the holidays. But you can also, uh, failing all of that, you can go to my website, which is just my name. It's mattshore.net, M-A-T-T-S-C-H-O-R-R.net. And I've got links there to where you could purchase every single one of my books, uh, whether it be my literary novels, my comic books, and uh, as well as a a magazine my wife and I just started where we're collecting uh, old horror comics from like way, way back in the 30s, pre-code days, and reprinting those along with columns and interviews from uh, other creators of today. So you were telling me that uh, you are giving out free comics during the holiday season as part of this too, right? Yes, we... One of the things we said early on was that the first 10 people to place physical orders will get uh, a free comic along with whatever they order from us. And that was going to be an issue from my anthology series that I did called The Haunt. And it's just a collection of short stories that I did with uh, ghosts, vampires, uh, zombie, rabid dogs, (laughs) a little bit of everything in there. But there are collections of – there's collections of – we have columns, we have comics, lots of comics. It's mostly comics, but then there's also a, a literary story in there as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got the first 10 we're going to go out, but we also have a few extras that we're planning to hang on to for uh, stretch goals or whatever so that we can keep giving away more stuff. I like to say that I'm like Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas. We're giving out gifts for Christmas, but we're making sure that they're spooky gifts. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Now, the the goal is a, is a very low goal. It's only $400, and you're well on your way to getting that as we're, we're talking. And you know, people get on me because I get involved in the discussion. I don't tell people that uh, this project will be funded if it reaches its goal by Sunday, December 25, which is Christmas Day at 12.55 p.m. Eastern Time. So Christmas Day, that's an interesting day to, to have a Kickstarter end. Why did you choose, did you choose Christmas to do that? I decided to launch it on Black Friday. It all goes uh-huh. back to that. And it just so happened that Black Friday this year was November 25th. So that meant it was going to end on Christmas Day. I I did some research as far as – I'm always trying to find it about like the best times to launch and when certain things are best. And the feedback I was getting is that the best time for a literary novel is actually during the holiday shopping season. So I thought, okay, well, if we're going to do that, then we've got to do it on Black Friday and get like a big kind of you know Black Friday launch. So that that's really it. We tried to launch on Black Friday, with, and that just meant it was going to end on Christmas. Oh, wow, that's going to be something because people can uh, uh, can order stuff for them, and they can say that they've they've been ordered uh, for them. And then they, of course, it, when do you expect the the materials to arrive? Actually, my plan is to get it all out by January. I usually have uh, I've always been have a really fast turnaround with this because I always have all of my files ready before I even launch the Kickstarter. So that way. If we're successful, I don't have to keep people waiting. The only thing I ever have to wait on is for the funds to go through, which of course takes a little bit of time. But then as soon as it's in, I'm able to, I've got the files ready. I send them off and the process is started. That's great. I, as I often tell people, there are some Kickstarters I have back that I have never seen the yeah. stuff I paid for. And I always get mad. I, I could name names, but I won't. But uh, I, I'm always frustrated because, you know, you, you, you support something because you really believe in it and you want it to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, you're, a, a year or two later, I'm still going, whatever happened to that? Yeah, so, I've, I've been fortunate. That's only happened to me once where something I backed never showed up. But other ones I, I've backed where, like, I, it didn't come in for six months to a year. And it's I, I understand it. It, it. This stuff does take time. But it's with that in mind I, is why I always try to uh, – like I, I'm not a big-name guy. I'm not Jim Starlin. I'm not Stephen King. But I can be the guy that if you back me, you're going to get your, your book and you're going to get it fast. 
That's cool. Now, you reminded me of the video that you did for this project, which is funny. You, of course, have fun with yourself and basically said, you know, you, you something to the effect of, you know who I am. And then somebody reminds you, oh, they don't know who I am. <laughs> very cute stuff. I always enjoyed that. that I, I love self-deprecating humor. And so when I saw that, I laughed when I when I saw that in the, in the video, which is a cute little video. So I, I wanted to tell you that that was great. Oh, thanks. I, I try to find little ways to stand out with the videos that I do just because so many of them you've got, Oh my gosh, you've got thousands of videos out there. So it's, it's increasingly difficult to, to stand out from the pack. So just always trying to look for some little thing that just makes it look kind of different. And uh, while also being different, but at the same time, sort of reflecting the book that I'm promoting. So uh, that, that was my effort there. So, but uh, anyway, long, long way of saying thank you. Okay, well, let, let's. I'm kind of curious. In the picture of yourself that's on there, you describe yourself as a southeastern novelist and comic book writer, and the devious mastermind behind Shore Manor Studio. But the thing I really like is down here. You're also a renowned Halloween home haunter. I thought there was yes. a home hunter for a second there. It's home haunter in your hometown, Tennessee. What, what's that all about? Sure. Yeah. Um, for those, if if you don't know what a home haunter is, I think it's a term that's fairly new, but it's the it's basically the people that we we're not satisfied just putting out a few jack o' lanterns on the front lawn. We we have to go to the nth level with it and, and turn our home into a you know a miniature haunted attraction essentially. And that's what me and my wife are. We we go crazy with these with these things and we've become pretty well known in our neighborhood the first year they had an actual neighborhood competition we won it and i I told people like i don't care if i ever win again we won the first one so i'm I'm claiming those bragging rights forever so i always tell me we are now a award-winning home haunt (laughs) those is little (laughs) local neighborhood one but uh what we do to put it all in perspective um we we have two 12-foot skeletons from uh, Home Depot, if anybody knows about those. Those stand like on but on either side of our front door. We have skeletons all around the yard along with uh, headstones. And we've got like – we actually have a coffin. I have big, long story that one. I don't know if I want to get into that about how I got that, but I got it for free. <laughs> we okay. have a, we've got like a zombie clown inside that. I have projections up on the windows that we do all October long of just different ghosts and things floating around, spooky things. I've got a we've got a, a skeleton horse that was, believe it or not, a uh, birthday gift for my wife, which she was very excited about. She always want every little girl wants a pony, so I, I got her a skeleton horse, and that's ecstatic oh, about that. <laughs> And we also we've also got a giant spider who has got to be six feet wide and four feet tall uh, that we named Aragog. Uh, if anybody reads Harry Potter, they'll know they'll recognize that name. Uh, that's one that I actually built entirely myself, and I'm still proud of that guy. He still looks great every year. But that that gives you a feel for it. yeah, and uh, that's who we are. That that's that's what being a home haunter means, and it oftentimes doesn't stop with Halloween as we're recording this right now. Of course, it's the Christmas season. And so we put one of our giant skeletons up, but I did keep another one. He's actually still standing in our yard, draped in this black shroud next to a sign that says Scrooge and Marley counting house. And in the window right next to him, I have a projection of Jacob Marley's ghost. So I was super excited when I found a way to do something spooky for Christmas. I was going to ask about that because you know the the if the Scrooge story is full of ghosts and stuff like that, and you know they they've long been a part of the Christmas tradition. Although I don't think people do it as much as they used to, but uh, I was just kind of curious about that because you know because Christmas is a sort of a supernatural holiday. You know why not have those kind of stories? And believe me, that was a tradition. You know that's that's where Dickens got the ideas and stuff because people told those kinds of stories. So I'm not surprised that uh, you're keeping that tradition alive. I was I was happy to have a way to do it because for so long I couldn't really come up with some way that we would do jokes. And I've seen people do this, 
where like the skele- they just have regular skeletons out in their lawn, like decorating with lights or whatever. And it's cute and I, I like it, but uh, my wife wouldn't really let me do that. But when I finally found this projection of Jacob Marley's ghost, I showed it to her and I said, you know, I could do something with this. I could recreate a Christmas Carol because you have Jacob Marley. We could use what we have and create the ghost of Christmas future. And there it is. It's spooky, but it's Christmas. And she, she finally just shook her head and just said, okay, fine. <laughs> I've been begging every single year for, for her to let me to do something with Krampus. But she, she's um, not letting me. We, we live um, right in the heart of the Bible Belt. So uh, she's um, like, I don't know that a goat-like creature <laughs> with gigantic horns is a good idea. I'm big on Krampus. Yes, you're probably not wrong, but I'm probably still going to ask every single year, I'm sure. I remember when I first discovered Krampus. Uh, I think it was a comic book uh, that, that dealt with Krampus. And I looked at it and I said, what the? And I did some research on it. And it's a real thing from Europe. You know, Krampus exists over there. And this is Krampus is the one that goes after the not so good little boys and girls. Which yeah. I got it. I, I first heard about it with that movie they did a few years ago, which is a, it's a good little movie. I'm not going to say it's awesome, but I really liked it. It, it ranked up there with me as, with uh, like gremlins as far as Christmas horror movies go. Um, but I, yeah, I started researching more into it and it's, it really is a fascinating tradition. It dates back. They know for sure it dates back to at least the 16th century, but it may date all the way back to like the fourth or fifth. I mean, it's a long standing tradition, uh, Krampus. But what I haven't seen, like, he's always full on the villain anytime he's used in anything that I've seen. Um, movies and whatever i think even that one christmas horror story there's like a a fight scene between santa and krampus where santa calls krampus the enemy of all things christmas and it's like that's really not true krampus is actually very much a part of christmas and if it came down to fighting for christmas for or against he would very much be for it and he and santa are supposed to sort of be like partners whether like willingly or not so i i I'd, I'd like to see some kind of a story where we krampus is more more of an anti-hero than full-on just villain um i've tried to come up with something i'm not gonna lie but i just i haven't been able to yet i think there was a comic where krampus was employed i think santa gets kidnapped or something a la nightmare before christmas and krampus is is recruited or something to get in and help resolve that situation, which was a really interesting book. I, I think I interviewed the writer of that. It's, it's a couple of years old now, and but it was it was an interesting story because Krampus, you know, you're right in that people expect him to be completely evil, but he's not, and he's trying to because he needs Santa in order to do his stuff. That's why he gets involved in this whole story in the comic, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was called Krampus. I think was the name of the comic, and it was, I got a huge kick out of it because I just, you know, I I I always enjoy something that's a little different, and I couldn't imagine bad kids only getting a lump of coal. Yeah, (laughs) there had had to be more than that involved, and that's where Krampus I think comes in involved. And yeah, they did a movie. I've never actually seen the movie, but I really want to see it at some point. someday. I'm going to find it someplace and watch it because I'm 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 just so fascinated by it. Because I have to tell you right off the bat, I never believed in Santa Claus. Oh, uh, the thing that what happened was is my mom would take us to my brother and I to the store, and we would buy all the stuff that would show up Christmas morning. And so for me, I I thought my mother was Santa Claus for a long time because, you know, she was the one that did all the buying of the stuff. Then, of course, I realized she couldn't buy stuff for everybody. And so I I Mm. never really, I never believed in Santa Claus from that way. But you know what? I was okay because uh, I've always had ground in me. Of course, that makes things like Krampus all the more fun because it's a fictional way out there character that I kind of enjoy understanding a little better. So for me, it's all great fun. Yeah, I uh, I grew up believing in Santa. I don't know when I grew out of it. I I know when my dad sat down and had a talk with me about it. I was like ten years old, but by then I I'd, I'd figured it out. 
for years. <laughs> um, that we, I remember the joke used to be at school, like, do you believe in Santa? I was like, well, yeah, I believe in my parents. But uh, <laughs> it's um, – and, and I know people who take – I don't know. They're, it's like they consider Santa an affront in some kind of way, like you're lying to your kids. And it's like, come on, guys. It's, it's just a chance to – You've only got a few years. They're really going to believe in magical things like this. Let them believe in it for a while. It's, it's what's the harm in that? Um, I don't know that I would turn around. <laughs> I'm not going to go tell my kids. By the way, though, if you're bad, this big goat monster is going to come get you and put you in a burlap sack and beat you with reeds. But <laughs> <laughs> and how, many kids still... actually, how many kids actually get coal? Yeah. Anymore? I yeah, don't think I don't even that happens anymore. But uh, yeah, no, I, don't, I don't think so. I I, I talked to that. I think, I think his last name was Jones was the, the creator, and he he wanted to do more, but I haven't seen any more of that coming around. And I, I'd still like to see more Krampus stuff because here is this uh, opposite number, or somebody who is uh, talk about a uh, somebody who can you know because Santa is very benign and he's very Christ-like in in the description of him, you know. He knows when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake and stuff. And a lot of people think, oh, my gosh, he works for the government. But uh, the thing that always <laughs> gets me about that is that he's very benign and happy and, you know, all those things all come. But Krampus, I like that he had shades of gray and shades of dark to him. So it's I'd like to see more of that. See, that would fit right into your yeah, the stuff you like to do, to be honest. Yeah, that's why I'd love to come up with something for him. It's, it's hard to just come up with a, a scenario that works because I work best when, like, I just create my own sort of characters, and then I can they can I can incorporate them how I want. Whereas with Krampus, there's a very definite set of rules already previously imposed, so that makes for me. I know other people thrive in that, but for me, that makes it a bit more difficult. But that even with it, I just I desperately want to because. It's like you said, I, I like that Krampus is dark. Like I, do, I, I love what Santa is and what he represents. It, it's, it's a really cool thing. But Krampus, as far as storytelling, Krampus is one that I could really have a lot more fun with, I think. It'd be fun to see. I, I would enjoy that tremendously. But uh, he, he had a, 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 a height of popularity a couple of years ago, but I don't see much of Krampus anymore. But uh, I'd still like to see more from him. So I said, no, I wanted to get back to the book for a little bit. How many pages are in the, the Flight of the Phantasmodactyls? I haven't seen the final count, but it's it's all of them range between 100 and 150. So they're not uh, they're not big, it's uh, a word I'm looking for, commitments to read them. Okay. Uh, have you thought about – these are just ideal for like little animated films of some sort. Have you thought about any long thing along those lines? Yeah, sure. Do you know any producers who might like to give me a call? <laughs> All I know is it would make a great animated thing. I, as far as people to do it, I don't know about that part. But it would be fun to see these uh, get into some of the stuff, even the, the, the image of the, the phantasmodactyls on, sitting on top of chimneys. In the mm-hmm. picture, it, it makes me uh, that makes me think of poor Santa can't get down the chimney because there's a phantasmodactyl sitting on it. Yeah, there. But, I should have uh, said it in Christmas. That that would have been fun. <laughs> that would have been something to see because it, it's it's kind of interesting that one of them is sitting right on top of the the, the chimney, and I'm going like, hmm, I don't think Santa can squeeze down there past him. No, nope, so no, nope. pretty good. It's a it's a bird over the chimney, so they'll be getting a different kind of uh, lump of coal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, uh, I always worry about those kinds of things. You know, so often we see like animals get stuck in chimneys and stuff. And I'm always worried if Santa goes down there, is he going to crush this poor animal that's on the in the chimney? There's a, there's a lot of stuff about Christmas that always worried me. Yeah, that's one. Thanks to thanks to gremlins uh, getting <laughs> stuck in chimneys and Santa. That's every one of us from Generation X carry that with us the rest of our lives. <laughs> Thank you so much, Phoebe Cates. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say, though, see, there's a lot of this, when you get to the fantastical type of things like this, you know, I, I'm always intrigued. Um, DC has put out a book, uh, 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 Grifter Got Run Over by a Reindeer, 
which is of course a play on the, the song. <laughs> and of course, I I I don't want to read that until it gets closer to Christmas. I've got I bought it and it's, it's there. I'm going to read it when it gets closer to it. But I'm always interested to see. You know, I like those kinds of things. I that's one thing DC does that I really appreciate is they'll have these collections of short stories and stuff like that with a variety of characters in them. And I, that makes me think, are you going to put all these stories together in one book at one point, or are you going to keep them separate? You know, I've definitely thought about that. It's just a matter of when I run out of different monsters, because at this point I've still got at least two or three more I'd like to do. So I feel like once I put them into an omnibus, I feel like that has to be it. I, I know a lot of people do it and then just do more and then just do a, another omnibus and that just feels kind of tacky to me. So when I do it, I'd want it to be where I've definitely written the finale and then just one big collection. So it's, it's one of those, it, it probably is on the horizon. I just don't know quite how far out yet. So like the last story, I'll have all the creatures get together in, in the last story. I've, I've thought about that. One of those kind of Godzilla destroy all monsters kind of idea, <laughs> like start doing crossovers where it's Zombosaurus Rex versus Phantasmodactyls. And then, then everybody comes in. To, yeah. I've, I've thought about that. Cause I, I love monster mayhem without a doubt. I, I love that stuff. See, that would make an, a, a great ant comic annual. If, you, if, you, if you're going to, if you don't want to do it in the comic until then do it when you do like a team up. Or a crossover, yeah. that would be the ideal time to uh, uh, to put, put all those creatures together. Yeah, that'd be fun. And find some way to present it, even though it's a novel, as like this, yeah, you know, like an annual crossover crisis event. Speaking of DC, find, find some way to make that work. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. That'd be great stuff to do. So, well, uh, obviously, you got other irons in the fire. What else are you working on that we should be aware of? This is the main one right now. That's my focus. But, uh, of course, I do have uh, podcasting that I continually do. There's my ongoing podcast, Tales from a Small Town Journalist. Uh, we were just talking about a cel- cel- I will be celebrating my – I believe it's my fifth anniversary next month. I'll be – five years I've been doing this crazy little podcast where I interview uh, journalists working for small local uh, news groups and just let them tell their stories and because they've got – fun weird crazy stories to tell and it's 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 always cool talking with them um but other than that i do also have other books and comics in my head that i would like to do it's just a matter of uh coordinating and get, getting all that stuff out there short stories um one character i've been playing with a lot is a uh, troubled priest who is constantly being faced with dark paranormal things um he shows up in the the haunt he's one of the literary stories that are included in each one of those issues and i'd like to someday do a collection of all of his stuff but um i think that's everything right now that that's kind of in the fire i've got other ones that uh are still in the the mixing uh, in the mixing batter bowl whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, getting them ready to go in but uh, as, as you can tell, they, they all tend to have a little bit of a, a spooky twist to, to it all because that's that's who I am. Now, do you, uh, do you in the giveaways are they largely your comics, or do you give away other people's comics as well? Uh, these are all mine. Yep, the haunt. Uh, they're all issues of the haunt, so uh, th- those those are definitely mine. And um, we'll be seeing what other kind of swag, depending on on how things go, that we could also include. But uh, yeah, it's just just ego driven enough that it's all got to be me. Okay. All right. So that, those are going to keep you busy for a while, I would imagine. And then, of course, you got to do the fulfillment after Christmas. So your Christmas present is to have it be successful, so that uh, on Christmas Day that'll be your. Uh, if somebody wants to give you a Christmas present, this is a good one to think of. Yeah, that would be a lovely Christmas gift. (laughs) Now, uh, how many Kickstarters have you done so far? I believe this is my sixth one that I've done. Wow, six. Okay. But you've got more coming. I bet there's more coming. Yeah, yeah. As as projects come together, yeah. I'm, I'm not done with Kickstarter yet, so I'll... It's a, it's still a great tool for uh, getting the, that initial funding 
uh, to, to publish stuff. It's, it's a great tool for indie writers and publishers like me. See, I always think that, uh, I, and I worry about how many things do we miss because Kickstarter is only so many years old. You know, how many people had great ideas, but because DC or Marvel wouldn't pick them up, they couldn't do them. And now they're, we never get to, we never got to experience that story. Oh, so no kidding. I, yeah. I get, I get real frustrated with that when I think about that. And I, I occasionally bump into somebody who said, Oh, I had this great story, but I had no way to, to tell it. And I was like, well, now, of course, now's your chance. And you've got all yeah. kinds of stuff going on. You can, uh, everybody can, you, know, you can contact artists through online. You can do all kinds of stuff. Speaking of which, who does the, 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 the covers and the illustrations for your books? Uh, the one doing it now is once again, Joe Billisick, my, uh, my trusted artist from Moby Dick back from the deep. His, his art is just perfect for the stuff that I do. And at this point, uh, we're, we're pretty much simpatico. Like he knows what I want. I know how to communicate with him. So like I just told him for this one, I I need some, uh, ghostly pterodactyls. What can you give me? And he's just like, I'm on it. Give me just a minute and I'll have it to you. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, another example of previously we, for our latest magazine issue, grave diggers, I told him, okay, I just need Boris Karloff Frankenstein wrestling with a bunch of mummies. And that's all I had to tell him. And within a couple of weeks, he got back to me with the image that's on the cover. And I was just like, this is awesome. This is exactly what I wanted. This is perfect. So, uh, yeah, Joe's back. I always love to work with Joe. Aren't you guys local to each other? No, we're actually pretty far away. He lives in Florida and I live in Tennessee. And we've, we've never met in person. Again, the, the magic of the internet and social media you were talking about. That's so interesting because, like the the book that I the the main book that I I serve as editor for, the the, the writer lives in Florida and the uh, artist lives on top of a mountain in Tennessee, and then the colorist lives in the Philippines. Yep. And <laughs> never been all in the same room together, so it's just kind of a. It's I think that happens more now than 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 it ever has because this. You know, as you search the internet and look for people that you want to work with, and you see their stuff, they're they're very unlikely to be in the same city anymore. So that's that's something. I, have you guys? You guys have never actually. You said have you Zoom called or anything like that? No, we've never. Yeah, no phone calls, no Zoom. It's all we've ever communicated with is email, and it, it's all we need. It it works. It's that's how he delivered all every single page of Moby Dick back from the deep for like. Over two, three years, he would send me a page every week, and uh, as as well as covers. And uh, then after that, of course, I I told him I don't have steady work for you now that we're done with that. But I d- I've got other stuff, and I'd love to keep doing stuff together. And he said he said yeah, me too. So that that's where we are. We're we're still connected. I I keep trying to connect with other artists just to have as big of a network as I can. But Joe is definitely my Robert De Niro right now. <laughs> I mean, how do you find people? Facebook, uh, Twitter? How do you do it? Uh, the answer to that is yes. Uh, but the, the way <laughs> Joe and I specifically connected was there's a website and it's still out there, Digital Webbing. And it's got a like one of those uh, message boards. If anybody remembers that, back uh, when I was a wee lad, uh, just – just shortly after the Civil War, and you might remember this era, when we didn't have social media, so the way we got online to complain to each other about stuff, different websites would have message boards. So that's what Digital Webbing had and still has, and they maintain it, and you can still go there. It's a free service, and you can just uh, put out a – basically, it's like a casting call to say, hey, look, I, I'm here's my project. Um, here's what I can pay or, or what I can't pay or, or whatever. Uh, who can, if you're interested, send me some samples of what you've done and we'll go from there. And that, that's what I did years ago. Uh, and I had several people respond and, and Joe's work was just the one that spoke to me the most. It, it reminded me a lot of Mike Mignola and Hellboy, which for the horror stuff I was doing, is exactly what I wanted. And so I, I wrote him back and said, okay, here's, Here's my budget. Here's how we can make this work. Does this work for you? And uh, we've we've been working together ever since. Well, I just did a quick search, and I was looking to see if there's if Krampus has a song. 
and they're, they're doing the soundtrack from the movie, but there's also something called the Krampus song, and somebody has a Krampus Jingle Bells. Oh, great. Uh, which, of course, I've got to go take a look at when we get done, because that, that, that fascinates me. I, <laughs> what Krampus was singing Jingle Bells, I, 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 I dread to think. But that would be a lot of fun to see. So, so that that's keeping you busy right now. So uh, hopefully this will be a big success, and uh, you get to have a great Christmas, and you'll get to uh, move on to other projects. So, I Matt, you always do great fun stuff, and always things that are interesting and and different, which I always like. I love variety in my stuff, so I always enjoy your things. So, I, I, I again, it's going to conclude on Sunday. Christmas Day, December 25, at 12.55 p.m. So don't wait until then. Get out there and support it right now and make sure that uh, get that goal and so that Matt can move on to other good things. So, Matt, just keep up the wonderful stuff that you're doing, and I look forward to talking with you some more in the future. Oh, thanks so much. I always love coming back. Thanks for having me. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. And now it's time for my yearly holiday tradition, the playing of Twas the Dark Night Before Christmas. This video is actually available on YouTube. If you go to that site and look up Twas the Dark Night Before Christmas, you'll find it there. It's from the folks who do I'm a Marvel and I'm a DC kind of videos. And there are plenty of them. I think this is one of their first ones. What you really need to know is that there are three voices. The first one is Alfred. The second one, of course, is Batman. And the third one is Santa Claus. And it has an interesting holiday message that I like to communicate. So without any further ado, Twas the the dark night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through Wayne Manor, not a sound could be heard, especially not laughter. There were no stockings hung and no tree filled with lights, not a single Christmas decoration in sight. Master Bruce in his costume, and I in my robe, were up late on the lookout for evils unknown. I missed Christmas, but he said he didn't have time. None at all ever since the tender age of nine. It saddened me watching him year after year, never taking in joy, only dealing out fear. I say, sir. I pleaded with all of my might. Master Grayson is having a party tonight. Master Drake and Miss Gordon are sure to be there. Why not leave this bleak cave and enjoy some fresh air? I've outgrown Christmas, Alfred. He answered each year. You can go if you want to, but I'm needed here. I sighed and walked upstairs to turn off the lights. Merry Christmas, I said. His reply was, Good night. I walked up to my bedroom, got under my sheets, and prepared to drift off into sweet, peaceful sleep. Suddenly a noise woke me up with such a clatter, I ran to my window for more on the matter. And what should my wandering eyes happen to find but a man in a sleigh with eight reindeer... No, nine! I was off to tell Master Bruce what I had spied. The fat man in the sleigh was in for a surprise. But it was my surprise. He had beaten me there. Just how fast was this man who could sled through the air? Who are you? Master Bruce yelled, demanding to know. The fat man's belly shook as he laughed. Ho, ho, ho! Don't you know? He asked, giving his heels a click. Santa Claus, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle, Saint Nick. The Batman moved slowly, not wanting to harm him. Right, Santa, let me take you back home to Arkham. But the man disappeared. He was gone in a flash, leaving only some traces of old soot and ash. Suddenly he was back just as soon as he'd left. This man was indeed quite fast in spite of his heft. I've come here in peace, said the man. Have no fear, Batman said. Then explain to me why you've come here. The jolly man laughed. Christmas time is at hand. I bring gifts of joy to everyone in the land. The good people come to me with their requests for their heart's desire, and I do my best. I need and want nothing from you, Batman said. Go and take to the streets of Gotham with your sled. The man in red snickered and gave him a wink. The person I'm here for is not who you think. I've no gift for you, though you've done much good, it's true. But the present I'm bringing tonight, well, is you. 
But when it comes to Christmas, you just disappear. And you leave behind all of the friends you hold dear. Bruce said, Hold on a minute now. That isn't true. I give plenty of presents at Christmas. I do. Gifts of cash, food, drink, clothes, anything I can find. So then how can you say that I leave them behind? <sighs> Giving gifts is something for which you've had a knack. But the spirit of Christmas is still what you lack. Your gifts are all sent, none given face to face, and you've never even accepted an embrace. If you're given a gift, you just turn it away, denying your friends what their hearts want to say. I know all of their feelings, and they all know mine. Gifts are simply a symbol for which I've no time. Well, Christmas is a time for which I've always felt allowing others in. Let your defenses melt. My defenses are fine. Batman furrowed his brow. It's just a sign of weakness to let them go down. Santa sighed. I have never, as long as I've lived, had to teach tis better to receive than to give. I came here to open up your heart and your mind. You're determined to keep them both closed up, I find. You're just too filled with anger and pain and regret. Probably about both of your parents, I bet. You'd tell them you loved them if you could somehow, just like all of your friends want to tell you right now. Oh, the gift of allowing love to be expressed is one of the greatest gifts that one can get. For the past is behind us, the future unknown, and the moment is all that we have to call home. And so, now I leave you with this to think on. And with that, this St. Nicholas fellow was gone. The master was silent. He was lost in thought. I wondered if this was what that fat man sought. Alfred, he said sharply, giving me a fright. You mentioned something about a party tonight? Soon we were dressed and ready and out on our way. Surely this was a miracle, one had to say. He had come bearing gifts and was going inside when he stopped to look up because he had spied... That Santa Claus fellow! I exclaimed in the dark. Master Bruce simply smiled, looked up, and said, Thanks, Clark. And I heard Batman say as he walked out of sight, Merry Christmas to all. Well, at least for tonight. Now you enjoy whatever holidays you celebrate this year. So happy holidays. I'll be back next week with more interviews. But until then, keep reading your comics.